Hi, this is Harry Clark, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, a podcast for anyone and everyone who plays bluegrass. Uh, my guest on Bluegrass Jam Along this week is a recent winner of IBMA's Momentum Instrumentalist of the Year. Um, and the reason he's on the podcast is, A, because he's great, uh, and B, I've interviewed a couple of people recently who've just had nothing but good things to say about him, both Bronwyn Keith Hines and Dan Taminsky, when I spoke to them, were singing his praises, and I thought, this is somebody I need to speak to. So my guest on the podcast this week is Harry Clark. Harry, it's great to have you here. Yeah, glad to be here, Matt. Good to see you. Uh, congratulations on the IBMA award. That's fantastic. Thanks, man. Totally, uh, totally blindsided, blindsided by it, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, I'd love to get onto some of the the records you've made and the the bands you're playing with, but I'd love to sort of start out on how you got into the mandolin in the first place and whether it was sort of so many people I speak to come from musical families and grow up around instruments around playing, and I'm just curious whether that was the case for you or whether it was sort of something that you you picked up for yourself. Uh, right. Well, um, uh, my brother and I, uh, when I was probably about six years old, started taking guitar lessons. He's a little bit older than I am. And, uh, just from this dude at a church in the town we were, we were living in. And, uh, you know, this guy knew all the, the youth minister chords. So like three and a half, four chords. Um, <laughs> my brother was able to pick up on them, but me at the time being kind of a little feller, I couldn't really wrap my left hand around a guitar neck and reach the chords and stuff. So it's really hard. And I really wanted to play something, you know, I'd kind of toyed with the idea of playing drums. Uh, but my parents really didn't want a drum set in the house for obvious reasons, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, an adolescent beating on, on the drums all hours of the day, probably drive you nuts. So, um, so anyway, my brother played guitar for a few years and I just watched and we ended up moving to a town in North Arkansas where I'm, uh, where I grew up for the better part of my life from South Arkansas. Um, and my mom met this guy at a college, uh, who gave, you know, lessons on banjo, guitar, mandolin, ukulele, all these stringed instruments. And, uh, uh, she, she took me to him cause she knew I wanted to play something. And at that time I was kind of interested in maybe playing fiddle or banjo. I'd kind of heard a bunch of Irish music that had the tenor banjo in it and fiddle, you know, and I was really into that. Um, but he recommended that I, I try mandolin out and he gave me one lesson, you know, a 30 minute lesson. And by the end of that half hour, I was really hooked on it. You know, uh, I learned like a G, C and D. I guess I was about 10 years old when I learned that. And, uh, yeah, all it took was about 30 minutes and, and I just didn't want to do anything else. And then I got into bluegrass uh, about about six months later, after I'd really got into playing mandolin, you know, my dad took me and my brother to see Ricky Skaggs' Kentucky Thunder. Yeah, and, uh, that, yeah, I mean, that kind of blew my mind. I'd never seen anything like that. You know, Ricky played mandolin, just blistering fast, and then he put the mandolin down. At the time, he had Andy Leftwich in the band. Andy picked the mandolin up, and it was also just crazy. So my mind was completely blown, and that's when I really got hooked on bluegrass. Was uh, sort of bluegrass on your radar before that? Because Irish music's a pretty strong choice for a six-year-old who, you know, hasn't not grown up in Ireland. Yeah, you know, I got this grandma who's always had like very eclectic tastes in in music. You know, like she uh, she likes everything from Ray Charles to an Inya or Anya, however you say her name, and 
and you know she would she would go somewhere and just see like a cassette of Irish music and would just buy it. So she had like this large collection of, of different music and a good bit of world music too. And for some reason, at a young age, I just got one of those Celtic albums from her and and just you know upbeat Celtic music with with a good fiddle and the and the whistles and the drums and stuff that'll get you going at any age. I feel like it's just yeah yeah it's catching to the ear. But I'd heard Bluegrass before, you know, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou came out, and that was just kind of an instant hit uh, for my family and me. You know, I saw it when I was probably six or seven and really dug it. And we got the, the soundtrack for the movie, so that was always around. But uh, I hadn't really seen it up close and live, you know. I hadn't really gotten a lot of opportunity to to be in the room while Bluegrass is being played, and that's really mm-hmm. how I feel like that's really when you get bit by the bug is when you see it up close and personal, it's just so much different to see it in an intimate setting than to even just hear it on a record, which I love listening to bluegrass records and most fans do, but, but everyone knows if you know that that seeing bluegrass live is just a different experience altogether. And it's different than any other music too. Cause you know, there's not the, the speakers and the, the amps and it's just, uh, just, only air between you and the, the instrument being played. So it's kind of, I don't know, something to it. I got bit yeah. by the bug. I think that's the the joy of like purely acoustic music is you get to sort of see it being made. Like everything that is happening is happening yeah. in front of you and there's no sort of effects or electricity or there's no, like what you see people doing relates yeah, the magic, to the sound you hear. The magic is purely between the uh, musician and their instrument and nothing else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what's special about, like you know, the traditional Celtic music too, and and stuff along that lines. You know, traditional jazz and stuff like that. And there's just something about being in a small space and just uh, just the instruments, you know, with or without a microphone, just putting out sound and and hitting you in the room. You know, it's special. So I got I really got hooked on bluegrass after that, and. uh and from then on out, I was just looking for any bluegrass record, specifically with a mandolin that I could find, you know. And what was yeah. sort of the first, what was the first thing that sort of hooked you after that? What was, who was the first player you sort of really noticed as a, a player in their own right? Adam Steffi, for sure. Um, I'd heard Nickel Creek, and of course I'd heard the O Brother record and with Compton, who's later, later in my kind of, uh, musical journey i've really gotten into the monroe style players a lot uh, i've kind of it's kind of taken me a while to really get why it's so great and now it's kind of all i want to hear but like the first guy who really got me was adam steffi uh i got a copy of so long so wrong the allison Krauss and union station record it was the last one that adam was on but uh just his mandolin tone was so huge and clean and his timing yeah. was so good it was just like man this guy you know he made it sound like, like no one else had ever made it sound, you know? And, uh, he's, he's kind of a, uh, he's a legend for sure in his own right. So even though he didn't play a lot these days, but he was some the first of those, cat. Um, yeah. And some of those parts that he played with Alison are sort of, you can't imagine the song without him almost that yeah. as much part of the song as the chorus is. Exactly. Exactly. Super tasteful player too. Yeah. Yeah. And so. That's interesting, actually. Interesting point about um, taking longer to get into the Mumro style stuff, and that being something you almost like the way you talk about it, almost like you sort of grew into it, almost. Yeah, um, for sure. And- it's maybe like a 
maybe like a real hoppy beer. It's just like an acquired taste. The more you have it, the more you're kind of like, oh yeah, you know, actually that's, it's pretty good. It's funny. I interviewed um, Jared Walker earlier this year and he was still yeah. saying the same kind of thing that he really appreciates the, the sort of the clean style of some of the, the more modern players. And it's an incredible thing, but also that there's just something about the slightly rough around the edges stuff that, that gets him really every time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that comes out in his playing, and I think maybe maybe in yours as well. There's definitely tremolo is something you you seem to use a lot of, um, and I wonder whether that sort of comes out of that's 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 a lot of double stops and tremolo and some of the older stuff. All right. Well, so I grew up in Arkansas, and uh, you know, as far as the pickers who were around, there weren't just a ton of pickers. You know, they were all kind of spread out over the state too. But there was one guy in particular named Bill Nesbitt, who's still a family friend. And a great musician, a great guitar player, uh, also really kind of into, you know, Django, Reinhardt guitar playing. But he's kind of like Arkansas's Monroe mandolin aficionado. And he's just a great Monroe style player. And, you know, being being younger, I wanted to learn all this kind of I wanted to learn to play like Adam Steffi and like Wayne Benson, and you know, Alan Bybee, Dealey and all that stuff, you know, all those really clean players. Um, but Bill was just such a part of my, uh, you know, my musical experience, just being at festivals and shows and local jams and stuff that I think, uh, you know, I just subconsciously picked up on a lot from him because he was, you know, he was one of, he is kind of like one of the best mandolin players to come out of Arkansas. And, um, but he had a real great tremolo and he would incorporate that a lot. And so just being around him, watching him do that, it was nice to kind of, kind of learn how to, you know, play back up with a tremolo, you know, because with a mandolin, you don't get that long bow like you do on a fiddle. Like it's voice kind of the same, but you know, it's such a staccato sound. It doesn't have a ton of sustain. So a tremolo, you can really, you can really play lightly and play tremolo and add a lot of sustain to a song and kind of create a, a voice rather than just like a, plank yeah totally it's funny isn't it if you sort of think about it in in those terms that a sort of a mandolin played with a pick is a fairly inefficient way to get a sound out of an instrument in some ways but it gives it like all of its character and all the things people have done to compensate for that over the years make it very much what it is right and tremolo can also be like like it can be very like sweet and kind of precious sounding and add like pretty texture but then you know if you listen to monroe he would play tremolo on songs and, you know, it's like the song is like 120 beats a minute, you know, and he just jumps right in at the front of the solo, just, you know, really giving her hell on the tremolo. And it's, 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 it almost like makes you feel uncomfortable, you know, it kind of makes you have to adjust in your seat. Um, I got Chris Henry. I don't know if you know Chris Henry or not, but he's, no, kind of, he's, he's a great man on player from here in the States. He lives out in Virginia and he's really, really gone down the, the Monroe like path and learned a lot of that Frank Wakefield stuff. He's and but his playing is so intense and he plays a lot with, with tremolo, you know, and it, it's not always like a slow, pretty thing too. Sometimes it's really intense and in your face and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of the equivalent of the, uh, the dive bomb on an electric guitar of the <laughs> mandolin, you know, just yeah, intense and, 
And it is that thing sort of talking about your ear getting used to some of that stuff. I remember when I first started listening to Bluegrass, listening to some of the, the Bill Monroe stuff and some of the earlier stuff, your ear sort of needs to adjust a bit. And then um, because it doesn't, it sort of doesn't um, go out of its way to accommodate you. It just does what it does. And that's sort <laughs> yeah. of what the appeal of it is. It's not trying to sort of soften the blow. It's just trying to create a strong statement that makes yeah. you want to listen. And it is, you know, it, it took my, it certainly took my ears a while to adjust to that. Yeah. It's a, there's emotion in there that you don't really, you don't want to confront. You don't want to come face to face with, but I think the older you get, you know, the more hardships you have, the more that kind of, that kind of sound relates to people. You're like, Oh yeah, that's what that, that's what I'm hearing now. I didn't get it when I was younger. I hadn't lived enough, but, hmm. but now it's kind of, it kind of makes sense. It's like, Oh yeah, that's that, that's that emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sort of, so from that point on, what, what was the first point you started playing with a band? What was the first band you joined? So I grew up playing, my brother's a great guitar player and me and him played some regional stuff. You know, we, we played with my mom a little bit. She got an upright bass and we had the traditional family band, you know, mom on upright bass and then me and my brother and we'd have some friends around, you know, I grew up with that. There's a family, um, they're from Missouri, but a lot of them live here in Nashville. Now they're called the Myers, uh, John Meyer and Mary Meyer, um, or two in particular that folks might know. John's a great banjo player and, uh, Mary's a great mandolin player. And, you know, we kind of grew up in the same region. They were from South Missouri and we were from, you know, kind of North central Arkansas. So there was like a two and a half hour driving distance between us, but we all kind of hit it off one year. We met in, at a festival in Missouri and, uh, played a lot of music with, with John in particular. And, uh, but anyway, you know, we did the regional stuff for a while. And then my brother, when he was 20, he got a gig with a band from Nashville, this brother and sister duo, they're called the Roy's. And, um, he played with them for about six months and, uh, he decided to move on from it. But I had a buddy who was playing bass in the band at the time and, you know, Jed quit and I'd been playing guitar kind of as like a, you know, like side instrument just for fun. And my buddy was like, man, you should, you know, you should try out for this gig, see if you could do it. And so I, I kind of learned the songs and went and tried out for that gig on guitar. So my first real like, you know, quote unquote pro gig was on guitar. And it was with a band called the Roy's. I lived in Nashville for most of 2012. I was on the road with them. And yeah. They, they had a bus and, uh, we just rolled around. They were, they, I think they were sponsored by some energy drink. And so that's how they could, they could roll around and, you know, being 18, first time really away from home. It was awesome. I had a great time, you know, the full experience. I got the full experience. Yeah. 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 I moved to Nashville. I was 18, lived here for about a year and, uh, did that gig. And then I, I left that gig cause you know, I like playing guitar. I still love playing guitar, but, uh, mandolins kind of where my heart is. And there's a band, kind of a, you know, I call them the Southeastern Conference of Bluegrass Bands because, you know, everyone in this band, uh, Volume 5 that I ended up joining was from like everywhere from South Carolina to Arkansas, you know, because I moved back to Arkansas. And I joined this band, Volume 5, and they're still playing today. They still got, you know, putting out records. And uh, there's some great musicians in that band. One of my favorite mandolin players, a guy named Aaron Ramsey, plays mandolin mm. for him now. And uh, he's just, he's sick. But I played with that band for probably four years before I just kind of kind of quit. You know, I turned 20, 22 and quit playing with them and uh, thought I'd just kind of hang music up for a while. 
I don't know. Once you once you do it, it's kind of hard to just just quit cold turkey, you know. So then I moved back to Nashville, and I've just kind of played on and off with different bands here and there. My last venture was about a four year stint with a band called The Wooks from Kentucky, mm. and uh, we've kind of gone on hi- hiatus uh, since this spring. You know, certain members of that band are now like uh, CJ Kane, the guitar player, is playing with this guy Tyler Childers, who's kind of become this like cult hero, you know? Yeah. I think he's kind of in London. So you know, it's always his name. Yeah. Pop, pop, pop. Yeah, I, yeah. I think they are. You should go see him, man. Tyler's great. He's an amazing songwriter. He's got a great band. It's just kind of full of like old time and bluegrass musicians. Uh, but they all play rock too. So it's, you know, it's pretty cool. But now, yeah, yeah I'm playing with, playing with Dan Timinski now and, uh, the band East Nash grass, um, which I kind of, Helped start with some buddies back in 2017, I believe. So kind of just kept going. I was going to ask you about those two bands. So the Wooks is sort of on hiatus now, but East Nash Grass is sort of full steam ahead. Yeah, East Nash Grass is, is pretty much full steam ahead. We're actually uh, working on a record right now. Um, we got to go in tomorrow and uh, Wednesday, and we're going to finish up some final touches on it, sing some harmonies. Oh, cool. Yeah, kind of patch up what needs to be patched up. And uh, hopefully have it out by the beginning of next year. You know? So I sort of first came across across you guys when I interviewed Bronwyn Keith Hines about the record she made because you were yeah. obviously in the band for that. Um, and James Key sings on it as well. And he's not mm-hmm. somebody I'd heard before, but he's got a great voice. Yeah, excellent. Um, so you know that's yeah, just really cool combination in there. And some of your some of the people you play with with Dan Tominsky are also in East Nash Grass, right? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so myself, Maddie Denton, the fiddle player for East Nashgrass, is also in Dan's band, and Gavin Largent, our dobro player, is in Dan's band. And um, so East Nashgrass was started kind of as just like a one-time gig at this bar called D's Country Cocktail Lounge. It's in Madison, Tennessee. And, um, you know, it was it was originally me playing bass, uh, Corey Walker and Jared Walker, you know, the Walker brothers. Yeah. Um, played and a guy named Ryan Cavanaugh actually played banjo. Um, he kind of, he kind of got the gig. He played one gig. And then afterwards he was like, man, why don't you take, you know, take this over? He's like, I'm not really interested in pursuing it. I just want to do it one time. So I kind of ended up putting, you know, putting some stuff together. It was always kind of a crap shoot for the first few weeks of who was going to be there. And then one night I went to the station in to see a show and I met this guy, James key. Um, you know, and we talked a little bit and I said, uh, I ended up telling him about this Monday night gig I had at this bar called D's. I was like, man, I'd love for you to come play guitar, mandolin, just, you know, come sing and play and we'll have some special guests. And like from then on out, it's been, you know, he's been in the band. He just came to fill in and he just kind of stuck around and, and really helped grow the band too. James has done so much to, to help the band get to where it is now, you know? And, um, you know, we had a few different members at first and we'd have, you know, people float in cause Nashville's full of road musicians, you know? Mm, yeah. So, so, you know, it's hard to just peg down someone for every Monday night, but after a few different variations in about five years, we kind of had the same, mostly the same band for probably the last three years. And did it sort of settle down in terms of roles? If you all sort of started off doing a bit of everything, did that sort of take yeah. shape? Yeah, and I actually started out as the guitar player in that band too. And um, 
recorded the first record with me playing guitar and James playing mandolin because he's he's a great mandolin player. But uh, I was on the road with the Wooks for an amount of time, and we had just played a private gig. Me, James, and Corey played a private gig with some guys in Idaho where James played guitar and I played mandolin. And after that, he was just kind of like, man, we should just keep it like this because, you know, at least when you have to miss a show, I'll be able to still play guitar, you know, and it's like, well, we'll at least have that role filled, you know, if we can't find another mandolin player to fill in. And uh, so now it's just James plays guitar. I play mandolin. And uh, yeah, Corey Walker, who's Jared's brother, plays banjo. Uh, Jeff Picker plays bass. And, and is uh, that kind of a preference thing for you? you? Do you prefer the mandolin or is it just I would, the way Yeah, I'd rather play it um, in a band setting. You know, if I just sit around the house and sing a little bit, playing guitar is fun. And I still like to play guitar, but mandolin's just kind of like, it's what I started on. It's kind mm-hmm. of my first instrument and it's still my primary love. I was going to ask you about that, actually, about sort of singing, because, you know, guitar is obviously an easier instrument to accompany yourself with. Um, yeah. But I heard I, in an interview a while ago, maybe you're talking about sort of singing more over the past few years and mm-hmm. whether whether that sort of requires you to think about playing the mandolin slightly differently if you're accompanying yourself. Yeah, it's made me have to simplify the way I play, you know, and really just kind of hone in on what timing feels like rather than what it sounds like, you know. Um I didn't really start singing much until I moved when I was 20. I saw it would have been 2004, two, yeah, 2014 into 2014. I moved to uh, East Tennessee and there's a, there's a moonshine distillery in a town called Gatlinburg. Uh, and they, they hire out bluegrass bands to play like every day. There's at least two bands that play, you know, a couple hour shifts. And I, I went out there and ended up playing in a band, uh, was out there for about a year and uh i just kind of was at a point where i i had to sing you know i was playing guitar in that band too and there wasn't really a a definite lead singer in the band so i was just like man this is something i gotta i gotta learn to do i kind of hated doing it at first because singing's never any never really came natural to me like playing music playing an instrument feels a lot more natural than singing um but it's it's definitely something that's for me has been more learned than just really able to do, you know, some people can just sing. I got two sisters who just, they just sing and it's not because they practice it. They can just do it. Mm. Just got that, the ear for it. And I don't, it's been more learned. There's loads of uh, sort of different genres of music where you can get away with being an instrumentalist and not really singing, but it's much harder Mm. in the sort of bluegrass world, isn't it? To be in a band and, and never have to sing. Yeah, it really is. Um, Luckily in bluegrass, you can kind of, you can kind of do this thing where you're, you're not actually technically a good singer, but if you got enough like character in your voice and enough conviction, people will be able to endure and enjoy your singing anyway. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of weird, you know, cause uh, you know, I never thought of, you know, Monroe is technically like a great singer, but, but there's something about him that's so, so real and true when he sings, you know, it's, you kind of, you kind of like it anyway, yeah. whether yeah. it's technically correct singing or, you know. I mean, so many of the singers that I like um, wouldn't necessarily be described as great. I love listening to Steve Earle sing, for example, but he's yeah. by, by no means a great singer, but he's a brilliant deliverer of a story in song form. Absolutely, absolutely man. Same goes for cats like Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Like those guys technically weren't the most proficient vocalists, but, but you sure believe what they're singing to you, you know? 
Yeah, totally. I, I hear a bit of that sort of you talk about Bill Munro. I hear a bit of that in Michael Daves these days. He's just got a sort of an old an old sound to him that sort mm-hmm. of it's maybe not unique at the moment, but it stands out and it's you know really hits you. Yeah, it does. It does hit you. It's uh, it's convicting for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the album that you're with, the album's nearly finished now. Then the East Nashgrass album. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost done. It's a bunch of uh, original original material. Uh, brought to the band by uh, I wrote a song on there. Uh, Maddie wrote a, a fiddle tune. Uh, James Key wrote a song. Corey Walker wrote a song, and then we reached out to other writers like um, our buddy Christian Ward, who actually just won an award, uh, IBMA Award for Song of the Year. He wrote that song "Red Daisy" that Billy Strings recorded. Uh, he, he co-wrote that with Jared. They wrote that together, mm-hmm. didn't they? It's a great song. Yep. So Jared is a great writer and Christian Christian's a really brilliant writer. He's, he's really great. And uh, every time he writes something, I'm excited to hear it. And uh, so we got a few songs from him and then a couple songs are covers, but they're quite obscure. Like we got an uncle Dave making song on our record that probably no one has heard in like, you know, 90 years for the most part. And then, uh, you know, James, uh, James grew up, playing bluegrass, but also listening to old country and mm. like really, really, uh, really knows a deep well of, of old country songs. And so there's some stuff that we pulled from that, but yeah, the record's almost done. I'm pretty, pretty pumped about it. Do you have a sense of when that's sort of going to be due out yet? Yeah. We're thinking probably like January or February of, uh, 23. Hope so, you know, yeah, because you talk to people sometimes. It's like the yeah, the records in the can. We've just got to find time to all be able to tour it at the same time. You know. Yeah, and it's kind of been a, an issue with uh, with three of us playing in Dan Tominsky's band. Mm. You know, it's like really trying to to be able to book shows with East Nash Grass and Dan, and not really create conflicts for either. You know, keep everything civil, and you know, make everyone make everyone happy. Um, so this year we're, we're, or for next year, it's looking like we're going to have a pretty, uh, half and half schedule of East Nashgrass gigs and Dan Tominsky gigs. And, uh, so we, we've been talking to, to some of Dan's people too, and they're kind of helping us, you know, get our, our trajectories in line to where there's no overlapping and no one's really having to cancel anything to, to let people play. So. You know, there's a bit of a song and dance that goes along with it, but um, but everyone's kind of, you know, we're we're looking a little deeper into the future. You know, it's next year we're going to play more festivals than we ever have with East Nash Grass, and hopefully as the years go on, it'll progress into something where we can, you know, kind of just commit to that and mm-hmm. make that our our forefront band. You know, um, it's such so, a common uh, thing, though, isn't it? You know, there's so few people who are just in one band and that's it, and in the world of bluegrass, people often have more than one project on the go. It's hard to do, but I think there's, I think there's value in doing it at some point, like everyone kind of committing and going, yeah, let's just see what we can do with this one thing for, hmm. you know, a couple of years. Let's see what it looks like. if We really work at it, you know? Um, but, uh, but all in due time, you know, and uh, it's, it's looking more, more probable that East Nash is going to be, a lot more busy in 24 than 23 and 23 is already looking busier than the last, you know, five years that we've had. 
and given a couple of those years kind of been very busy at all that must be nice to look, yeah. look ahead to exactly it's uh it is nice you know it's it's a nice feeling after you know going two and a half years of no work to be like oh yeah i got a bunch of work coming i'm, I'm not gonna have time to to not do anything <laughs> you know i'm gonna have have a have a pretty tight schedule but it's it's good yeah. And then when did you start sort of playing with Dan then? So I started playing with Dan at the beginning of this year. Um, you know, he had Adam Steffi playing mandolin in the band. And uh, Adam uh, ended up uh, ended up uh, going a separate way. And since I already had two band members from East Nashgrass and Dan's band, and I had already known Dan's current banjo player and bass player, you know, from years of just being in the same festival circuits. Uh, I guess I was a good, had a good shoe and or good foot in the door. So they say, you know, the get go. So Dan just kind of asked them who they were thinking, you know, he should get. And they all kind of, kind of recommended me, which was very, you know, super nice, very flattering. And, uh, yeah. I got a, got a message from Dan asking if I'd be interested. And I was like, Oh yeah, totally. And he's no slouch on the mandolin himself, is he? No, it's taken me up until like the last month to actually feel comfortable playing in front of him because he's another one of those cats who I just listened to as a child. You know, talk about one of your heroes. Uh, that guy is definitely one of them, guitar playing and singing and mandolin playing. He's just, uh, you know, been listening to him for most of my life. And so it's it's totally surreal to to like be standing next to that guy and watching that sound that you've heard your whole life come through a stereo system, just come through right there, you know, three feet away from your face. Yeah. Particularly if our brother was sort of a starting point for you. That's kind of his voice is such a huge part of that record. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He sings just like George Clooney. It's crazy. <laughs> it's, um, I interviewed him recently, but I interviewed him mostly about the Tony Rice EP that he put out, um, yeah. which is fantastic. But he was talking about the record as well, because that, that was all finished by the time I spoke to him and coming out at some point next year as well. And I've interviewed like loads of people on this website, on the website, this podcast, from people sort of in their 70s through to people in their 20s who just started out in their careers. And I've never heard anybody sound more excited about a new record than Dan Timinski sounds about this one. He just sounds thrilled about it. He said it's, you know, he's been involved in some big records in his years, but this, he's as excited about this as he's been about anything. Yeah, he seems super pumped. And, you know, as as one of his band members, it's it's excited to see him excited about, you know, work you've done for him. And uh, he's been real, you know, it's been real eye-opening working for him, man. It's kind of, you know, when, when you play music with someone of Dan's level or any of these kind of legendary musicians i've been lucky enough to play with david greer a, a good bit and you know who's just like an amazing guitar player mm. it's like when you when you really get to sit next to these guys and be up and close personal to what they're doing you're able to pick up on the nuances of how they make their music uh even more so than just listen to them through a record you know there's things that you don't get through a record that you will get from being in the same room just being a few feet away from them and being you know, being around Dan while he sings and plays has kind of been eye-opening. It's, I mean, I feel like I've grown more in the last year as a musician than I probably ever have in my full career because, you know, I've been able to be around Dan, you know. 
And it's funny, he because like, we were talking about the Tony Rice EP, he was sort of saying the same about Tony, about, mm. you know, just being able to take something from somebody else. And, and the idea that that's kind of being passed down is something sort of beautiful about that. But also yeah. just the thing he talked about really sort of clearly when, when we spoke, he was talking about like not wanting to take too many breaks on this record because he just enjoyed listening to you guys and sort of reacting to you. It's one of the things he mentioned most about Tony's playing that he would listen and react, you know, above mm. above and beyond anything else. And um and he just said, you know, he was just really happy to see what you guys were doing and sort of follow that, which is well it's quite a thing to say for somebody of his stature. One of the things about Dan and Tony is they both have such distinctive rhythm styles. And like while they can both solo like Dan's a great lead guitar player, but like his rhythm creates such a platform for every other instrument to be able to kind of, kind of freely, you know, display what they can do, you know, like, like it's, it's different playing with him. I've never, there's very few people I played with where I felt as supported as I do in Dan's band from a rhythm aspect, you know, Oh, we got Grace Davis playing bass, who's just a phenomenal bass player. You know, she's she's excellent and works well with Dan. And Dan's rhythm is just like that's a huge part of his sound. And so it's been awesome to get to play with. And uh he's I think he has a lot of fun playing rhythm, you know. Mm. And the same with Tony. It's like Tony's leads were iconic, his singing was iconic, but like the way that he played rhythm guitar was so important for the other people like he was playing with you know, to be able to really, you know, get their point across with what they were trying to say with their instruments and playing with Dan's like that, you know, it really having a good rhythm guitar and bass player really creates a platform for you to be able to, you know, play freely, but in time creatively, but like stay in, in within the bounds of the song. I don't know. It's cool. His rhythm playing's super unique and he played great rhythm on this record it's a, it's a very exciting project to be a part of yeah i'm really really excited to hear it i mean i totally agree i love i love dan's rhythm playing it's one of those things that almost sounds too easy a bit like listening to tim o'brien sing or it's just like it, yeah. it, it just feels like he's not thinking about it at all which is mm -hmm. obviously not the case but there's just such a a kind of i can't really explain it any better than you even just listening to it, you feel like everything is going to be all right. There's nothing to worry about. It's just there. And it's, it's kind of like, like breathing. Yeah. 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 yeah beautiful to listen to. So I'm excited for the record. Um, a couple of things I've read about you and I would just kill keen to chat to you about the, the mandolins you play, but a couple of stories that I heard one about a mandolin going missing in the post for quite some time. And another one yeah. about you having your car stolen with your mandolin in it and getting both yeah. the car and the mandolin back. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, had a couple different mandolins throughout the, the years and, uh, I went and hung out at a buddy's house one night. He had a little fire in his backyard, a little campfire. And we just kind of hung out, you know, and we're spending some time and I'd let, for some reason, I thought it was a good idea to leave my keys in my car unlocked. <laughs> with the mandolin in the back. And, you know, I was probably sitting 20 feet away from where my car was, but it was blocked by a wooden picket fence, you know? And there's one point in the night at about shoot, it was probably like midnight where I heard this car door open, a car start and drive off. And I thought, man, that sounded super close. You know, it sounded like it came from, from uh, the driveway, you know, and it turns out it did. And it was my car. And this fella had uh, just been wandering the neighborhood that we were in and, 
and decided to look in my car and the keys were in it. He jumped in it, took it for a joyride, had my mandolin in it. I don't think he knew really what the mandolin was. He might not even known it was back there. Hmm. Uh, the cops picked him up the next day. He'd like, you know, he'd ridden about 400, 450 miles throughout the night, just riding around, I guess. I guess just wow. waiting to get picked up, you know. But luckily, the cops found it. And my mandolin was in the car, and he'd left a couple things in the car, you know, like a like a brand new pack of Newport cigarettes, and uh, and like some some bootleg Jason Aldean CDs. So you know, it was a real score for me in the end. <laughs> so like between yeah. that, like the amount of gas that he used and the things he left, you probably ended up about even at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So like, you know, at least I could do is thank the guy for leaving me some some knickknacks and cigarettes there at the end. You know? <clears throat> And what mandolin was that, that that went on that joyride with him? That, that mandolin was made by a guy named um, James Burnaby, uh, who's from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, that area. He didn't build it anymore, but he was a great builder, and uh, he built that mandolin for me. And uh, I still know where that mandolin is. I got a buddy who ended up purchasing it from me. I was actually thinking about maybe hollering him to see if I could buy it back the other day because it's, it's a good mandolin. I wouldn't mind having it back. And then the, the mandolin that got lost in the mail, there's a great builder out of Portland right now, uh, a guy who's kind of following in the footsteps of this builder um, named John Sullivan, who was from, you know, Oregon. He passed away too young. He was a great builder. He was kind of like coming up to be one of the one of the better known cats. And, you know, Andrew Marlin from uh, Watch House plays one of his mandolins. Uh, Caleb Clotter has one of his mandolins. This is John Sullivan. But um yeah, this this fella who lives out there now named um, Matt Rulin, phenomenal builder. I, I got a mandolin from him, and he'd finished it up and sent it in the mail. I bought it through this store in Montana, and he sent it to that store. And this was, you know, this was still like when COVID was pretty, pretty hot, and you know the mail, the mail, U.S. mail really had a had a pretty hard time. You know, during some of those months, mm. and uh, I guess we'll just back up and stuff. And yeah, this mandolin I bought got lost in the mail for about I don't know five months, maybe. Right. I can't even couldn't tell you how many months it was. I think it got shipped to me in like January, and it was May when it got found. I'd kind of given up hope on it, but yeah, yeah, it came through. It just took a took a really long joyride. I had a very similar experience during the pandemic with a guitar that i bought that but it was a much shorter experience and a much cheaper instrument so it was slightly less frightening but it kind of i still i had it the, is it it scares you man and matt felt so bad he was so cool about it he was like man i'm i'm you know i'm, I'm gonna build you another mandolin just how you want it all this stuff you know he was very cool he felt so bad i'm just glad it showed up and uh it's a, it's a great mandolin too yes that's sort of largely what you play these days um so that's not the mandolin I play right now. Uh, I was able to get a, uh, I got a Gilchrist oh, wow. in April. Yeah. I've always wanted one. It's kind of been a dream mandolin and, uh, one showed up that was just kind of like, it was the right time for the right price. And some things worked out and I was able to, to get it. And that's what I got now. And, uh, I love it. So it's kind of my main axe. It's what I played on most of the Dan record and mm. all of this East Nash record that's coming out. Cool. So, yeah. like, so I normally get to this point in a in a conversation. I ask people what they got coming up next, but it sounds like you pretty much know what you've got coming up for the next two years. Yeah, for the most part, I'm pretty. It's it's kind of set in in motion and in stone. Like, 
Yeah, this is this is what you're going to be doing. And it's kind of it's kind of been my plan for the last few years to make this work, especially when I got the call from Dan, because Dan's going to have, you know, he's obviously, you know, uh, an in-demand musician. You know, he still plays mm-hmm. with Alison Krauss and and, you know, he's a he does solo shows and things like that. So it's definitely wanted to play with Dan while I could and want to play with him all I can. But at the same time, it's nice to have a, have an outlet for your own music. And that's kind of what East Nash Grass is right now. Like it's kind of allows me to be creative and, and put my own, you know, music out there and collaborate with musicians who are my age, kind of a, a group of my peers. Yeah. And I guess with them, um, I guess with Dan, you know, Ison Krauss has been off playing with Robert Plant for a while now and that'll come to an end at some point. And, at some point, know, yeah. That, that'll kick exactly. back in again. Sure, absolutely. So it's kind of, it's kind of the game plan has been set for me. Yeah, yeah. If all goes um, right, it'll go well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's exciting, and looking forward to looking forward to hearing the record. So it sounds like yours will come out before Dan's. I think Dan's was due out a little bit later in the year, wasn't it? Okay, yeah, something like, like that. What I heard. Yeah, he's a. Uh, I'm not all sure what he's doing, but I'm sure he's putting the magical final touches on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. I mean. Yeah, man. Thanks for joining me today. It's just been, it's been really cool getting to hear a bit of your story. And um, it sounds like you've got an incredibly exciting couple of years coming up. Yeah, I hope so. It feels like, um, it feels like East Nasgrass is sort of full of people we're going to hear more of. Cause man, I think unless I misremember Maddie won a momentum award last year, didn't she? Yeah. La- last year. And then like in 2016, Corey Walker won one and uh, you know, every, everyone in this band in East Nasgrass is, done something in the bluegrass world, like our bass player, Jeff Bicker. He just recently, uh, you know, he played the last four or five years with Ricky Skaggs and his band. And he also is engaged to Sarah DeRose and they play music together too. And then like Gavin Largent, who's a Dobro player. He's played with Blue Highway and Dalian Vincent and Michael Cleveland and Corey Walker's played with Tim O'Brien and Sierra Hall and all these people, you know? And so it's kind of all these, We've all had dance as sidemen, and now we're mm. kind of coming together as a collective and putting our own our own spin on a band sound, you know. And since I sort of heard of you guys, sort of heard of the band, it just feels like all of your names are just more and more cropping up in conversations. And I see, well, you know, it feels like there's a real bit of energy building around what you're doing. Yeah, that's what we hope. Cool. Well, best of luck with it. Thanks. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, Thanks so much for taking the time out to talk to me today. Yeah, glad to do it. Thanks for having me. Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collings Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collingsguitars.com and find out why.